Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 25th day of June 2022. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and on just about every score you can imagine, it's been kind of an unusual week, even to the extent of the Supreme Court having released a whole fuselage of really important cases right as we go into the weekend. And as you're probably aware, most of the real news that Big Brother doesn't want people to see, they tend to announce late on a Friday, after all the uh, so-called press has gone home for the weekend, so that essentially... It can have the weekend to percolate, and before people realize what's really happened, they've forgotten about it anyway. Not so this time. And as I'll almost certainly come back to, maybe there's an obvious reason for that as well. After all, the insurrection and riot notices have already gone out. And the usual Bolsheviks are pushing their useful idiots to go out and just burn, kill, and destroy everything they can heading into the weekend. So here's the headline story. Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade in landmark opinion. This one's actually called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. And it comes from a Mississippi law banning abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy, except for medical emergencies and in cases of severe fetal abnormality. But as the honest headlines point out, the real effect of the decision is to return abortion to where it was supposed to be, the individual states. As Justice Samuel Alito wrote correctly, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey that followed have inflamed debate and deepened division. So what's being done now is to return the decisions to the states where, as Alito added, the Roe court usurped the power to address a question of profound moral and social importance that the Constitution unexpectedly equivocally leaves to the people. So he said, and this really inflamed the left, it's time to actually heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, said the ruling. So for the most part, the ruling was what we've already seen released. Obviously, the intention there was to prepare for the riots that they've got scheduled for this weekend. But really, let me kick off my commentary by saying that what's happened here is that the United States Supreme Court has actually come right out and stated the obvious. It really is that simple. They read the Constitution and they said, hey, when it comes to abortion, it's not in here. And furthermore, there's not even a power delegated in here for us to have anything to say about it at all. And it really is ultimately that simple. Now, what's interesting is the spin on it. And um, the, the confluence here is the thing I think is kind of fascinating as well. So um, let's briefly go to the other case that came out on Thursday which strikes down New York State's long-standing gun control infringement on the Second Amendment. This opinion was it was a 6-3 to three decision, interestingly, although arguably two of them, Brett Kavanaugh and the oh-so-blackmailable so-called Chief Justice Roberts, other than the numbers, I'm not sure their approval is worth very much. And they basically said, oh, the fact that we're signing on to this decision, and they're pretty much dissenting but concurring opinion, doesn't mean that we actually believe there's a constitutional right to keep and bear arms. So you got to read that and see what weak, limp-wristed, mealy-mouthed sellouts they really are. Although, they do get credit for finding the acorn here. Justice Clarence Thomas wrote the court's decision. He goes back and looks at the law in New York and says, basically, it was bogus from the start. And the decision says this. This is the line that, that says held. New York's proper cause requirement. In other words, you don't have a right to keep and bear arms unless we say so. 
you pee on you. The proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment, and that's the equal protection of the law party he's talking about, by preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms in public for self-defense. And then he goes and he cites the reasons and so forth, the historical analysis, and a lot of other interesting stuff. What's also interesting, as part of that historic look back, Clarence Thomas wrote the following. Now, now listen to this. Understand that Clarence Thomas is a rare thing. He is not just probably the most brilliant justice on the court, one of the best in decades. But as commentator John Cardillo points out, a rare American treasure. The man happens to be black, and he wrote the following. Now, this is not something you're going to hear from CNN, I have a suspicion. In the commentary, he says, a short prologue is in order, talking about the decision. Even before the Civil War commenced in 1861, the court indirectly, this court, meaning the Supreme Court, indirectly affirmed the importance of the right to keep and bear arms in public, writing for the court. In this infamous case, you may know the name, Dred Scott v. Sanford, and he gives the, the site, Chief Justice Taney offered what he thought was a parade of horribles that would result from recognizing that free blacks were citizens of the United States. If blacks were citizens, Taney fretted, now this is Clarence Thomas writing, remember, they'd be entitled to the privileges and immunities of citizens, and including the right, whole horror of horrors, to, quote, keep and carry arms wherever they went. So, thus, says Clarence Thomas, even Chief Justice Taney recognized, albeit unenthusiastically in the case of blacks, that public carry was a component of the right to keep and bear arms, a right that free blacks were often denied in antebellum America. And, of course, if you understand the history of gun control in America post-war between the states as well, it is almost invariably what were called Jim Crow laws. In other words, uh, these, the proper cause is we want the sheriff to take a look. And I grew up in Missouri. I saw this. Proper cause, the sheriff has to look at this young boy and decide if he's capable of, you know, having a gun. If he's black, yeah, maybe not so much. So, folks, the uh, the whole point is you will not hear this talked about. Clarence Thomas is recognizing it. Gun control is racist. Now, most everything else that the uh, left wants to talk about that they claim is racist generally isn't. And the irony of ironies is the one thing that really is racist beyond compare is the one thing they're going to say, well, in that case, we don't want anybody, including you whites, to be able to keep and bear arms. Turns out it's really not so much about color as it is your party affiliation. Does that sound familiar? And from there, the other thing that's really interesting is the amazing, coincidental confluence of events. Because the U.S. Senate, or what now passes for it, on Thursday evening voted 65 to 33, so you know there were some rhino turncoats in there, to approve the so-called Safer Communities Act. Yeah, let's make sure we can kill everybody with impunity. Well, that'll make us safer after you're dead. Sweeping gun control that's about as unconstitutional as it gets, including so-called red flag laws that put a great big red fork and a wooden stake in what's left of the Second Amendment. It's gun control Soviet style. Remember, folks, if you want a gun, you must be insane. Just like if you're not a party member of the one and only Uniparty, you must be insane. Ergo, no guns for you. As a matter of fact, we're going to send you to the gulag once we've disarmed you and then poison poked you. They call it bipartisan, and you know what that means. Two wings of the same evil, tyrannical bird of prey flapping in unison. TGP goes ahead and lists some of the 15 traitors to the Constitution, some of whom actually still claim to be Republicans, and you know what the word rhino means, like Susan Collins, John Cornyn, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, Murkowski, Portman, Romney, and a bunch of other slime. Now they'll send it to the communist Chinese imposter puppet to see whether he can still hold a pen. 
The Biden Fuhrer, the fake, the guy who, you know, doesn't know which end needs to be diapers, so they diaper both ends, can't ride a bike, can't read. Matter of fact, one of the big stories today, we'll come back to this one, uh, even the Daily Mail is pointing out, he has a cheat sheet telling him where to go sit, when to leave the room. He showed the press corps this, and they're laughing at him. Okay, but the same guy said he was deeply disappointed that the Supreme Court in the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin case actually read the Constitution. And he goes on to say this is a horrible act of violating the Constitution. Based on what? That not only can't he read, he lies about the meaning of simple words like shall not be infringed. Ain't it funny, folks? Nowhere in that document does it say the right of a woman to abort a child shall not be infringed. I guess if it had, then they wouldn't have anything to argue about. Lives are on the line, which, come to think of it, may be the only thing he said that's actually true. But it's their lives that are on the line if they can't disarm those who are eventually going to figure out just what's been done to them. They basically go on and on and on about all of this. It's downright amazing. Where I'm headed is this. This is from probably one of the most anti-constitutional so-called senators in the history of the body, with the possible exception of Biden himself, Chucky Schumer, communist from New York, who wrote the following, and I'm not kidding. Today is one of the darkest days our country has ever seen. American women are having their rights taken by five unelected justices on the extremist MAGA court. They have stolen, he continues, the fundamental, what? Not even in the Bill of Rights, you stinking liar. The fundamental right to abortion. So here's a guy that doesn't think you have a right to freedom of assembly or speech or worship, much less to keep and bear arms, to be free of illegal search and seizure. But he does think you can kill kids, and he somehow thinks that's in the Constitution, while the words that are in genuine print aren't. By the way, after Roe v. Wade's uh, overturning came out, Missouri made abortion illegal within the hour. So what you're seeing and what the riots will demonstrate and what the intent here is to say, okay, we are taking the country to war. They are pushing, and, and Chucky Schumer and Biden, the dividers, yeah. are saying we're going to do everything we can to try to foment a civil war. And I'll wrap up this part of the coverage with just a quick headline summary of some of the stories that were at the top of the Gateway Pundit series after the decision was announced. Live coverage says one, outside the Supreme Court, radical left screams with rage. Another one, Obama calls on shock troops to protest following Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. CNN contributor tears up live on air while talking about the horrible decision. Pelosi meltdown over, quote, deadly serious Supreme Court abortion decision. There's no point in even saying good morning, she opined. Just Us Department released their statement on Roe v. Wade. Garland vows to use every tool to fight the states and the Supreme Court. How dare they actually read the Constitution? A quote from Maxine Waters, to hell with the Supreme Court, we will defy them. And finally, a furious Mikey, I'm sorry, Michelle Obama slams the SCOTUS decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and calls on Americans to go out and, well, do what needs to be done. Funny, isn't it, how they're allowed to say wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and then say, oh, we didn't know they were going to burn anything down. Who could have thought it? But wait, we're not quite finished. Let's take a look back just a few days and see what happened earlier. Night of Rage Flyers, says National Review's Ramesh Panuru have been spotted in the District of Criminals ahead of the long-anticipated and much-leaked Roe v. Wade decision. He has a picture of one of them. It says the following. D.C. call to action. Night of rage. The night Scovis overturned 
Roe v. Wade. Hit the streets. You said you'd riot. And it continues to our oppressors. If abortions aren't safe, you're not either. Unquote. Signed, Jane's Revenge. And to kind of summarize it here, their history says that anything you're hearing about the January 6th people pales by comparison to what this group actually does. From there, let's finally take a look back at the rest of the week, more or less chronologically, starting with the theme of, oh, good grief, stupidity you just plain can't believe. To infinity and beyond has become a theme more than once of late. A week or so back, I noted that certain celebrities, sick, are really pushing the envelope when it comes to Kian Espas is stupid, though. Regular listeners know that for literally years I've made the point, at least it used to be true, that there was an old razor that said you shouldn't try to ascribe to conspiracy that which can easily be explained by stupidity. But it's been clear for quite a while, too, that nobody, I mean nobody, could really be this stupid Could they? In spite of the continuing and obviously successful efforts by the public cesspools to dumb people down. Turns out, by the way, that now includes the U.S. Navy, too, because they're pretty close to the top of the stupid parade. Worse still, they seem to think most sailors are equally stupid. How's this for talking down to an audience? This is no kidding, folks. And Julian Conradson for TGP introduces it by saying, This is not a joke. In honor of Pride Month, what used to be the U.S. Navy, and I'm not sure what they are now, released a new training video for its idiots and wannabe idiots, teaching them to use proper gender pronouns in order to create, quote, a safe space for everybody. It literally looks like something out of a kiddie TV show, 2022 style, that is, and treats the idiots that would watch this thing as if that's exactly what they are. Featuring two rainbow-clad hosts who introduce themselves with their preferred pronouns. Hi, my name is Johnny, and I use he-him pronouns. Hi, and I'm Kanchi, and I use she-her pronouns. And we're here to talk about pronouns. What is a pronoun? A pronoun is how we identify ourselves apart from our name, and it's also how people refer to us in conversations. Using the right pronouns is a really simple way to affirm someone's identity. It is a signal of acceptance and respect. It used to be a part of English grade school grammar up until we decided to teach kids that you can't tell whether somebody is a boy or a girl by looking at them or even watching them take a shower. What they don't respect, folks, is your brain. And any sailors who have to watch this crap will real quickly figure that out. Unless, of course, they're to infinity and beyond kind of stupid. Yeah, and now that you say that, another way that we could show that we're allies and that we accept everybody is to maybe include our pronouns in our emails or, like we just did, introduce ourselves using our pronouns. Because I guess in the Navy nowadays, your skill set doesn't matter. Hell, your rank doesn't even matter. What matters is your pronouns and whether or not you're inclusive and politically correct enough. But what would I do if I uh, misgender someone? I think the first thing to recognize is that it's not the end of the world. Unless you do it again, in which case, probably we'll court-martial you. You correct yourself and move on, or you accept the correction and move on. The most important thing I can tell you is do not put the burden of making you feel good about your mistake on the person that you just misgendered. Oh, thank you for telling me that. Because clearly I'd have never figured that out on my own. All right, well, you get the picture. But I guess the important point here, folks, is that while the rest of the world is preparing for World War III, the Chinese are launching new aircraft carriers, the Russians are worried about American weaponry sinking their ships and whether or not to nuke the people provoking them, and the United States Navy is preoccupied making pride movies for idiots. 
Are U.S. Navy sailors really this stupid, or is it just that their brass talks down to them like they are and tries to get them to be that stupid, or else they'll kick them out? You have to be pretty stupid, I guess, to take the Zyklon B injection after watching some of your fellow sailors and Marines drop over dead. And if nothing else we talk about today ought to scare the living you-know-what out of you, since they scorn the protection of the Almighty, think about it, this is what American military readiness looks like now. Under the Biden Fuhrer and the communist Chinese puppeteers that are pulling his strings. That is so helpful. Um, I want to know, what would I do if I want to know someone's gender identity or pronouns? No, we don't. And once upon a time, the U.S. Navy had better things to worry about, too. Come to think of it, they still do. Some names are very difficult to pronounce. But do you know what is very easy to pronounce? She, he, they. Inevitably, folks, we'll have to come back to stupidity on steroids eventually, but let's talk about why some of this really matters. For example, the Russian Black Sea Fleet rescue ship Vasily Beck was hit by a U.S.-produced weapons system manufactured by McDonnell Douglas, two harpoon missiles, and sunk in less than 18 seconds, killing at least 10 Russian sailors on board while 23 others were wounded. And the Ukrainian military, under the command of their own puppeteers, is crowing about it. Think of it this way. If a Venezuelan ship sunk a Coast Guard carrier off the coast of Louisiana with a couple of Russian-produced missiles, well, at least once upon a time, Americans would have considered that an act of war. Today's U.S. Navy, I'm sure, wouldn't want to take any action and possibly offend their pronouns. And while we're on the subject, what else is America's criminal ally up to? Well, from Summit News and Paul Joseph Watson, Ukrainian authorities, beacon of democracy that they are, banned that country's main opposition party, kind of like what Big Brother Biden is doing, and seized all of their assets, once again undermining any narrative that the fake president there, comedian Zelensky, is presiding over anything resembling a, uh, yeah, beacon of democracy. The country's so-called Ministry of Justice announced the move via, what else, to Facebook, revealing that the opposition platform for life had been shut down. Everything they had has been stolen, their assets, money, and property transferred to, what else, the almighty state. And this after their operations had been suspended in March after being accused of being complicit with, does this sound even remotely familiar, Russia, 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 and being anti-Ukrainian. So, Zelensky's political opposition has been eliminated. And the announcement said that the party, well, the ex-party, I guess you could say now, has been suspected of acting to undermine the sovereignty of Ukraine. Boy, the irony here just keeps on coming, doesn't it? With authorities having already banned 10 other political opposition parties for the same reason. Here's another one from TGP, courtesy of Christina Layla, that would be funny if it wasn't so incredibly tragic and, yeah, beyond stupid. The criminally evil U.S. excuse for an attorney general, and remember, he follows in a not-so-proud line of real scumbags in that position, from mass murders in Texas churches to those who sell weapons to drug lords but don't want to allow American citizens to possess. But certainly he, too, is pushing the envelope. Merrick Garland made an unannounced visit to, where else, Ukraine on Tuesday to discuss efforts to prosecute war crimes. And no, he's not prosecuting Ukrainians any more than the previous prosecutor in Ukraine, came after the Biden Fuhrer. I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. 
I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a <laughs> Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. The big guy kept getting his cut. If it hadn't been for that idiot Hunter and his laptop, oops, well, most Americans still wouldn't have a clue. And it looks like Merrick Garland is making sure that they still know who the big guy is and stay bought. Notes Christina, Merrick Garland is going to try to make sure the law, whatever that now means, is applied, not in the United States, where J6 defendants are rotting in D.C. gulags, being denied their once constitutionally protected rights to a speedy trial. But hey, if you're going to screw the First Amendment, why not go the rest of the way, too? Politico reported that Garland met with Ukrainian prosecutor, sick, General Irina Venetikova, to discuss potential persecutions of war crimes. Why am I pretty sure she didn't ask about Tony Fauci? But you want disgusting, ironic, and you have to be really, really stupid not to see the obvious here? Listen to this in-your-face whopper from the scumbag Garland. The U.S. is sending, he said, quote, an unmistakable message. There is no place to hide. We and our partners will pursue every avenue available to make sure those who are responsible for these atrocities are held accountable, unquote. Unless, of course, you can steal an election, and if you take the right bribes, you can do damn near anything you want anywhere in the world, ha, 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 and get away with it. Next, we intend to kill millions at home and abroad. And one last comment here folks, to really kind of bring the irony in that particular whopper home, the so-called January 6th defendants who dared to think that they had a First Amendment right to what? Assemble, speak freely, and uh uh-oh, petition the government for a redress of grievances? Well, they're 0 for 4 or so on that score, and they've been rotting in the gulags now, many of them, for well over a year, not having faced their accusers, not having had a speedy trial, or even having been arraigned, much less released on bail or whatever it might have been, for a mere misdemeanor. Now, here's the irony in all of this. The maximum sentence for a misdemeanor, like most of these people have been charged with, is at most one year in prison. Not in solitary confinement like many of them have been held, but just one year. And they're way beyond that now without so much as a trial. Forget the speedy part. This is a real war crime, folks. A real war against the American people. And No doubt about it. The one thing Garland said that's true is the U.S. is sending an unmistakable message. And I guess a few seconds of silence will let that sink in. One other really interesting thing. Now, what interests me about this is not the fact that the the senility of the fake marionette-in-chief has been revealed. People that have been paying attention knew before the rigged election that the guy was senile. The 25th Amendment should have prevented him from ever even putting his hand on a Bible and asking what that black book was. But now we have this story. Now, this is actually out of the Daily Mail. Now, other press is covering it, too. But the Daily Mail is kind of a leftist rag from the U.K. So I like to see what is it that the British people are reading about the imposter in chief. And, and here's their headline. Joe Biden accidentally reveals his cheat sheet reminding him to take your seat, and you is in capitals everywhere it appears. Your seat. You give brief comments. You depart. This is literally a little handheld note card for a four-year-old, and I know four-year-olds that can read better than this guy, and he, he was stupid enough or 
clueless enough to hold it up and show it to the press. And so now there's video and pictures of it. And the Daily Mail is essentially saying, look at this. The world is laughing at what is supposed to be the U.S. chief executive. What kind of a nation would have a blundering, blubbering idiot like this wearing the uh, the mask and pretending to be president? He is the laughingstock of the world. But again, what is particularly fascinating to your host here is that for once, finally, that at least some of the left-leaning media, primarily in the UK and certainly the Russian press, I'm sure is talking about this, is pointing and laughing while the American people are so stupid, so dumbed down, so clueless, they watch CNN and they think MSN is telling them the truth. Uh, they don't recognize that the guy that they think, uh, I think most Americans don't even really believe he was elected anymore. Most Americans do realize he's the one that wants to destroy their ability to fill their cars and to drive on the highways. But now the rest of the world, at least, is pointing and laughing. And Americans had better figure it out and fast, because while the rest of the world is pointing and laughing, Biden's controllers are pulling out the stops to continue their complete destruction of the United States and the disarmament of the American people, too, that will allow them to finish that job and those people. And we'll be back with the other news of the week right after this. second segment of the show for this evening. This is Mark Call, and we're going to start this one off with a warning. It builds on things that I've been talking about now for months, I think have been beyond obvious, and that is that the Biden regime, and more importantly, those who are pulling the strings, intend to destroy the country. And one of the ways to do that, as a matter of fact, you can destroy the entire world economy, is to completely undermine the ability of products to move and people to move via diesel. As a matter of fact, diesel is literally the lifeblood of the world economy. It provides farmers with the things they need to plant and to harvest food, truckers with the ability to move the food, and for that matter, everything everything else that needs moving, rail, airplanes, you name it, generators, backhoes, excavators, construction equipment. So much of the world economy runs on diesel. So if you really want to destroy the world economy, hey, what better to do than to price diesel through the roof and make sure that truckers don't even have the diesel that they need to move the diesel for the rest of the economy. But wait, the brilliant minds that are behind destroying the economy and pulling the Biden puppet strings have been hard at work and they've come up with yet another plan. But now you've probably heard about DEF, a brilliant ruse that basically amounts to urine. Uh, I guess you're supposed to say urea or diesel exhaust fluid, DEF, that Big Brother mandated be put in all diesel engines since about 2008. Its primary function, honestly, seems to be to reduce gas mileage dramatically in vehicles that are mandated to use it. And, of course, if they can't get it and it's going through the roof like everything else nowadays, then eventually they won't run at all. How clever. We're already seeing stories like this one. 
Arsenio Hall and Natural News about how so many truckers are now being forced to abandon their vehicles and leave the industry. As an obvious result, used truck auction prices are dropping, it says. That's not all. Freight market is cooling off, and the rate at which prices are falling is occurring almost as rapidly as they rose to record-breaking highs over the last year, leaving many operators stuck with overpriced equipment they can no longer afford to operate. But now they face the double whammy of higher fuel prices, DEF shortages, and the story we're getting ready to talk about right now. Although most of them haven't yet heard about this part of it. From Mike Adams, the Natural News, Red Alert, he says, the entire U.S. supply of diesel engine oil, generally 15W40 if you're curious, may be wiped out within eight weeks, and thus no more oil until 2023 due to what is called force majeure of additives, chemical shortages. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. <laughs> They've confirmed this, he says. It's not merely a rumor. And according to information that he relates, chemical manufacturers of diesel engine oil additives have declared force majeure and have now ceased supply operations to the manufacturers of diesel engine oil, which combine base oils with additive packages to create the oils that the diesel engines need. There's a full list of the things included in that category, including anti-corrosion agents, antioxidants, dispersing additives, anti-rust mechanisms, friction modifiers, EP additives, anti-foaming agents, and so on. But without them, diesel engine oil manufacturers simply can't produce the final oil products that are needed to lubricate and thus run diesel engines. Almost like there's a war having been declared on the lifeblood of the world economy, isn't it? Because key manufacturers have now ceased operations, diesel engine oil apparently can't be manufactured any longer, at least for now, in the United States. And that means Whoops, there's going to be a major shortage within just four to eight weeks. And if you think it was bad, folks, when people couldn't get toilet paper, imagine when they can't get anything. Until maybe, if they're lucky, and maybe, if America gets rid of the communists, sometime in 2023. By Cinepec, notes Adams, had a warning up on their website, but oops, once the word started to get out, they removed that. We can probably guess what happened there. And let's not forget, all of this is on top of other things we've already been talking about. Major crude oil producers have postponed planned maintenance all the way back to 2020 because of the pandemic. Now some of them are shutting down to carry out critical maintenance activities, further reducing global supply. Others are just being shut down because, well, we can't have things like that anymore. And if you've been paying attention, folks, you know that all kinds of things seem to be coming together to produce what's been called the perfect storm. Except this one was clearly geoengineered. From there, let's move to those responsible and are now dancing on the grave of global food production and, of course, global energy production. Their sock puppets been busy reading from the teleprompter of late. Let's tune in for as much as we can stand. This is the CCP Biden puppet via town hall and TGP. So for all those Republicans in Congress criticizing me today for high gas prices in America. Well, A, you ain't seen nothing yet. And B, hey, that's only a part of our multi-pronged plan. So, for all those Republicans in Congress criticizing me today for high gas prices in America, are you now saying we were wrong to support Ukraine? Are you saying we were wrong to stand up to Putin? Are you saying that we would rather have lower gas prices in America and Putin's iron fist in Europe? How about we'd rather have Putin in Ukraine than Biden's iron fist up America's uh, tailpipe? But true to form, the puppeteers need a scapegoat, and they're not above occasionally letting Biden let it slip out if he can keep to the script and parrot the truth. And we're investing almost $100 billion in public transit and rail. 
All the studies show that it will take millions of cars off the road and significantly reduce pollution if there's a serious transportation system available. And even though we all know there won't be a serious transportation system available, we are intending to price you out of your car anyway. You should have figured that out by now. Your host has suggested for the better part of two years now that it's pretty obvious they really do want you dead. They're working hard on that front. They've got Dr. Mengele's like Tony Fauci and Peter Daszak and a whole host of other communist Chinese-related traitors working hard on that score and profiting wildly in the process. Trouble is, like maggots on a corpse, the truth just keeps on bubbling up. Here are a couple of more stories adding on to the pile to make that point. The risk-benefit ratio of the so-called vaccines is negative. Gee, who could have thought it? According to a new paper from Stanford, UCLA, and others, this is courtesy of Steve Kirch, although Peter Doshi is the author of the paper, which he says puts my status as a misinformation spreader in serious jeopardy. They may actually have to come out and start calling me a truth-teller soon. The preprint paper is entitled Serious Adverse Effects of Special Interest Following MRNA Vaccination, Sick, in Randomized Trials, and it was written by a team of highly credible authors now undergoing peer review, and it points out, here's a shocker, folks, that the vaccines carry more risk than any alleged benefit. He calls it a big whoops because, of course, that's not what the Centers for Death and Control and the Federal Death Agency have been saying. It's really embarrassing for them that others are now starting to discover and even point out what he, like Steve Kirsch, your host, and a whole host of others, far better doctors than anybody working for the federal three-letter agencies, have been warning about for at least that long. Don't expect the waste stream media notes to cover this, much less even ask any questions, because by now you ought to know that's not the way it works. The way it works is that having failed and killed a whole lot of kids, among arguably millions of others at this point, the FDA votes unanimously to kill even younger kids, this time around too. And 49 out of 50 states are lining up to say, yeah, we want them dead. It's not enough to abort them pre-birth and then post-birth. We want to kill them as soon as they turn six months. And don't worry, we'll close that gap soon enough. I'll say it again, folks. If this stuff doesn't make you angry, you're either already dead or not paying attention. Related item from Global Research. A study, another one has found that deaths among athletes are 1,700% higher than expected since the advent of the COVID-1984 Cyclone B poison poke, not vaccinations. If you know anything about statistics, and that, of course, would exclude you from being a national news reporter, much less a member of the FDA's advisory panel, you know that that is statistically not just unlikely or even unbelievable, but outright damning. And on this score, the background statement is kind of interesting. The sudden death of athletes under 35 years of age engaged in competitive sports is a well-known occurrence. The incidence is higher in athletes than in non-athletes by two and a half to one, which itself ought to raise eyebrows. And the cause is cardiovascular in over 90% of cases. Yeah, there's another cause, too. And finally, they do actually get around to saying it. Why have we seen such a dramatic increase? The answer most likely lies in the introduction of the mandates, your host put that word in there, of an experimental injection alleged to protect against COVID-19 disease, but instead which caused untold damage to the immune system and cardiovascular problems. A study of 556 patients who received either the Pfizer or Moderna, I'm going to change one word in here, 
Instead of vaccines, I'll insert Zyklon B poison pokes, shows that signs of cardiovascular damage soared following the second injection. And the rate of heart attacks and severe coronary problems more than doubled after the vaccines were administered based on changes in the markers for inflammation and cell damage. But wait, there's even more. Heart damage is ubiquitous, the story continues, throughout the vaccinated population, and the damage is being diagnosed in multiple ways. Acute cardiac failure rates are now 475 times the normal baseline rate in VAERS. Tachycardia rates are 7,973 times the baseline rate. Acute myocardial infarction is 412 times the baseline rate. But wait, there's more. The rates of internal hemorrhage, peripheral artery thrombosis, coronary artery occlusion are all over 300 times the baseline rate. Fully vaccinated people, those duped are coerced into taking the poison poke, and it turns out guinea pigs do, in fact, die a whole lot of the time, are suffering like never before. And let me make one more observation, folks. These are still early returns. You ain't seen nothing yet from the long-term effects. If you're not angry, I'll say it again, you have not been paying attention. And in fact, they intend to kill you. Here next, the story that's so quick, it's almost more of an observation. And I actually heard this one on the radio earlier today while I was milking the goats. About first, how Reuters was telling, not too long ago, gullible people that, no, it's a conspiracy theory that the vaccine could possibly impact male fertility. Now there's another study out, one of a number of them, as it turns out, that have said that ah, among sperm donors in particular, we've observed a decrease in motility of male sperm and sperm counts as well, i.e., it impacts male fertility. Now, your host not only called BS on this quite a while ago, folks, I told you why, and I think the reason really rings especially true today. How do we know that the claim that the vaccine couldn't possibly impact male fertility was an outright bald-faced lie? Because it was based on tests that hadn't been done. Actually, it kind of makes you suspect that the only thing that actually was done was the bribes. Bottom line is this. Anytime somebody tries to tell me without any actual evidence that something couldn't possibly happen or that what I want you to do couldn't possibly cause a problem, just do it because I tell you to, you'd better be really skeptical, especially if you realize that you're the guinea pig for the long-term testing that hasn't been done. The actual story is this, courtesy of Alex Berenson and a peer-reviewed paper at the journal Andrology, also courtesy of Joe Hoft and TGP, which shows large decreases in sperm counts among men who were uh, duped into taking the second dose of Pfizer's mRNA Cyclone B poison poke. Based on counts from men who donated sperm to three fertility clinics in Israel, the finding, it says, is devastating, medically and politically, because it cuts to the heart of the hottest button question of all about mRNA poison injections, whether they have hidden fertility risks. And you knew all along that was part of the plan, didn't you? This has simmered, he says, since early 2021, following reporting that Data showed the shots had caused excess miscarriages in rats and, of course, later in humans. Other reports showed that measurable amounts of vaccine reached the ovaries and testes in lab rats or uh, people that are being treated as lab rats. And ever since that time, listen to this bit of a misnomer. Fact checkers and public health authorities have dismissed and mocked, yes, it's a conspiracy theory because it's true, anyone who dares to raise them and doesn't get banned in the process. Berenson himself mentioned that Reuters article, December 2021, where they claimed there was no evidence, no evidence at all that male fertility was affected or could possibly be affected by COVID vaccines. And now we see yet again a conspiracy theory 
is fact. And he makes this point. The tactic of demonizing, silencing, and literally destroying any researchers who try to go against the official narrative has not only become commonplace, it's a response to the overwhelming political pressure to hide the deepening crisis around the safety and efficacy of the Zyklon B injections, and I'm not even call these things vaccines, as you probably know, that have now been given to over a billion, with a B, human guinea pigs worldwide in the biggest mass bioweapon experiment in all of human history. If there was ever a war crime, folks, deserving of mass executions of those responsible, and so adjudicated, of course, if we ever do again see a Nuremberg-like trial setting, you're never going to find a better example. Or so at least we should hope and pray, because you know darn well they're working on it, don't you? that bit of musical introduction leads me to the rest of the stories to wrap up this week via the good, the bad, and the ugly. We got lots of all of them. The first bit of good comes from Paul Joseph Watson at Summit News, and it says that the swimming sports world governing body has slapped a total ban on so-called transgender athletes. These are people that don't know whether they've got an innie or an outie, but really seem to like the idea of being able to beat the you-know-what out of the weaker sex when it comes to swimming. Anyway, athletes who have gone through any form of male puberty are prohibited now from taking part in women's competition. You know, real women. It's about time, he says. FINA's new policy, passed by a margin of 71% after its 152 members voted on the issue, will force so-called transgender swimmers, i.e. men with something hanging on them that you can see really well through a swimsuit, to compete in a separate category that includes only those who don't know the difference and think that their gender identity is therefore different from their biological sex and what kind of chromosomes they have. It's not a complete ban, however. So-called transgender athletes who were born with an Audi may still be allowed to compete in events for actual women if they have completed their so-called transition by age 12. It's all about protecting competitive fairness, said Fina's president, Hussein al-Musalam. You know, don't you? That means they'll be giving 10-year-olds testosterone shots at grooming events real soon now. They'll just have to turn the crank with different drugs a bit later on. Meanwhile, when it comes to what's called football, FIFA, the main governing body there, and here comes some more ugly, will make it easier for gender dysphoric athletes to compete in elite female competitions by removing threshold limits for testosterone. While they're at it, your host can't help but wonder, why don't they just get rid of all their drug rules completely? See how competitive they'd be with lewds and uppers and, oh yeah, let's not forget steroids. Remember when transphobic, or I'm sorry, no, not transphobic, steroid-phobic losers got so upset about Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, I guess there was Barry Bonds too, smashing the home run records of Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth just because they were doing a little doping? We're so much more enlightened today. Why, hell, home run records and any kind of sports records don't mean squat, especially for um, women, whatever that means now compared to political correctness and what the newest perversion is that needs to be pushed to kids. Okay, so maybe swimming, having at least taken a step in the right direction but not really figured it out, isn't that good a news. 
Let's try this from Rome, where frustrated drivers seem to have had enough of protesters that don't have the brain to get out of the highway and decided to, uh, well, literally take matters into their own hands and drag the ignorant right out of the way. This is from Warner Todd Hudson in the Western Journal, View the Gateway Pundit as well. We've all seen, he begins these protests where leftist agitators fill roadways with demonstrators, blocking cars, shutting down the streets, snarling traffic. But this time, motorists in Rome had had enough. They weren't just going to sit idly by, burning gasoline they can't afford now to boot, and let their lives be disrupted again by far-left idiots. How many times, he says, have you watched these protests shut down the roads, wondered why drivers just don't get out of their cars en masse and start physically dragging these screeching morons out of the way? Well, in Rome, they did just that earlier this month when members of an extremist climate group called the DNC, I'm sorry, no, the uh, Extinction Rebellion infested the Grande Raccordo Alulare, or simply the Recordo, Rome's main ring road, and one of its busiest, as the Daily Mail describes it. When the air Heads jumped onto the busy road in a row of bodies, sporting banners, protesting that, oh yes, man-made climate change must be stopped, even if it destroys mankind. They caused traffic backups that staked back for miles, using the same juvenile tactics we've seen now all over the world, including in the U.S. No police were anywhere to be seen. And finally, irate motorists got fed up, took matters into their own hands, and drivers began to jump out of cars and physically drag the whining leftists right off the road to eventually allow traffic to resume movement, as the Daily Mail reported. Video of the incident, and I encourage you to take a look at it, folks, shows infuriated motorists ripping the banners from the hands of protesters sitting cross-legged on the pavement and then returning to the line of people and physically pulling them off the road so cars could drive by. Hopefully, we'll see a trend here. And maybe not just against morons blocking traffic. And that would be really good news. On then to the bad, or at least some of it. There are bank runs in China. And maybe that's a harbinger here. It certainly has been for other pandemics. There are long lines to withdraw Chinese cash in places like Henan, Shanghai, and Dandong. People are lining up for hours, say reports, to try to obtain what they think is money, or at least currency, from bank accounts in the large cities of Henan, Shanghai, and Dandong, where it seems deep down the average Chinese just don't trust their Communist Chinese Party government. They're scared they may not be able to retrieve their life savings, and uh, they're probably right. Chinese sources are saying that the freezing of depositors' accounts by four rural banks in Henan has become a hot topic on socialist media, and as a result, customers there couldn't withdraw their money. That led them to move to Zhangzhou and try to get it there. Following Henan, banks in Shanghai and Liangning, or Dandong, also witnessed long traffic jams in front of their own headquarters, where people couldn't receive deposits in spite of waiting for hours. Said one man watching the queue... It's been like this these days. It's like that every day. Said another, many banks in mainland China are about to collapse. They're closed. Said another, heaven will not forgive them. And asked a third, will future recipients be charged with plotting to overthrow the country? Hey, sounds like they've been watching the January 6th fiasco. More really bad, although not in the least surprising. Here come the gas shortages, says Jim Hoff for the Gateway Pundit. Diesel prices hit yet another new record high on Father's Day. Average $5.81 a gallon. And on the East Coast, truckers are stalled out on the highway waiting for gas while stations are running out of diesel. And when the trucks can't bring gas, guess what happens, folks? Well, then there's no gas, and the trucks can't bring gas. And if you've ever heard the term vicious circle, you know what we're talking about. 
Which brings me to the ugly, and unfortunately, there's no shortage of that. On Friday's broadcast of MSNBC's Chris Jansing Reports, a senior advisor to the really senior, senile, marionette-in-chief named Gene Sperling responded to a survey showing that the majority of CEOs expect a recession in the next 18 months. I suspect most of them expect it in the next 18 weeks, or how about already? Saying that, quote, We think too many people are not looking at the more reassuring elements of resilience in the economy right now. And they don't realize, he said, get this, folks, just how successful our policies have been. Now, how's that for bad? But truly, it's an ugly admission because the truth is most people don't realize that the Biden regime's policies have been extremely successful. It's just that they've been lying to you about the plan, which was to utterly destroy the United States economy from day one, where, if you recall, they started by shutting down pipelines and destroying energy infrastructure. And on that score, no doubt about it, they have been damnably successful. From there, I have to go to an obviously related set of stories, and in this case, we'll introduce it with a piece from Communist Canada, where in Saskatchewan, a senior Canadian Christian pastor has alleged that public health officials, sick, have offered his church $50,000 if they agree to, what, yeah, push so-called vaccine confidence to his parishioners. If you're willing to kill them, we'll give you some bucks for it. In a video posted online June 12th by Diverge Media, Senior Pastor Robert Dubois of the Northeast Christian Fellowship in Melfort, Saskatchewan, Canada, made that shocking claim to a crowd. But he noted for a church it was only 50 grand. Quote, you could actually get another $100,000 for promoting vaccines out of a nonprofit. Finally, we do have to close with our World War III update. The world has moved a bit closer this week. Let's go, Brandon, to mushroom clouds and first strikes. After Lithuania blocked railroads into the Russian enclave on the Baltic Sea of Kaliningrad, Russia's only year-round ice-free port on that body. Lithuania imposed a complete ground transit ban on EU-sanctioned Russian goods, primarily through its railroads, but its territory, over the weekend, cutting off the Russian enclave of Kaliningrad Oblast, where the governor said the ban will block half of all goods coming into the territory, the majority of which do have to travel by railroad, and also cut off Kaliningrad's only oil pipeline from Russia. The obvious conclusion, as the bear gets poked again, is that NATO and those pulling the Biden puppet strings really are up in the ante to get their world war. It's getting pretty hard to imagine, isn't it, just what they won't do in order to destroy basically everything.